Good morning and congratulations, Rob and Amanda. That was a fun week. That was good. Hey, we've got a full morning and we are in the last. So grab your Bibles. We're in Mark chapter 13 and uh, we're in the last segment of the discourse that Jesus is doing. We saw that the uh, four disciples came to him, right? Uh, It was Peter and Andrew and James and John. And they were asking him, what would be the signs of the end of the age? And the goal of today's message is to build confidence. All right and to build awareness and alertness for us as a group of people. So we're going to take a look at that together. Um, Let's just do a real quick review before we get started. Uh, Remember Jesus talked about the beginning of birth pangs. He said that we would see uh, hear of wars and rumors of wars. Nations would rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Think of that in the political arena and contesting and those kind of things that would happen. Earthquakes in various places. And uh, we also saw last week that uh, there were some indicators that the time was intensifying. We talked about the fig tree. And so uh, we talked about the fact that Israel became a nation again in 1948. I don't know if you realize how astounding that is, how off the charts that was that just doesn't happen uh, the way it did. Uh, it's an amazing thing. And then we talked about the third temple being built and the abomination that causes desolation standing in the temple, right? We saw that with Antiochus Epiphanes, then with Titus, and now we'll see it with the Antichrist. And then his saying that this generation shall not pass away until all these things take place. So that's just a, a brief review. If you're newer visiting, that's just kind of where we've been. There's more. You can download uh, the sermons on the inter- on our website if you want. So we're going to take a look at the fourth part now today. Uh, so we've looked at parts one, two, and three. Now we'll look at the fourth part. So let's pray, and then we'll look at it. Father, uh, I seek you for this morning. I'm excited. I think this is a, a, a power-packed message with a lot of stuff, and uh, it comes out of your word and study and history and all that kind of stuff. And Lord, as we are thinking through the issue of the end of the world or the issue of your second can cause great turmoil, great anxiety, can cause uh, lots of uh, consternation. It's not supposed to do that, Lord. It's supposed to be something of expectation looking forward. And so we, we seek you this morning, Lord, that you would give us that. You would give us a sense of clarity, a sense of alertness, and that we'd be watching for you and we seek you for that in your name. Amen. All right. So let's read that section in Mark. It's Mark uh, 13. We'll read 32 to 37 and then we'll walk through it together. So it reads like this. Jesus was talking. He says, but concerning that day or hour, this is talking about the return of the Messiah. No one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Be on guard. Keep awake for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. All right, so let's look at that. Okay. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. 
So first things first. Uh, let's lay something out here so that we can make this. Jesus, what, let's go after what Jesus is not saying. All right? Uh, because there's literalists in, among us and we'll go, I can never take a nap. Okay? Jesus, <laughs> Jesus is not saying that it's wrong that we go to sleep at night. He is not saying it's wrong to take a nap. All right? What he's doing here is using an analogy to underline the importance of staying alert and watching for his coming. Okay? The reason we should stay alert is because no one knows, he's saying here, no one knows when his second return will happen. At this point, Jesus is on the planet when he's saying this. He's pointing out that uh, even he doesn't know because he's down here on earth. Now, it wasn't because Jesus wasn't God. What it was is because he had set aside his prerogatives, his sovereignty. We saw in Philippians 2 that he set those things aside for his time while he was on earth. And so while he was still down here. So he's talking about this issue of watching, being alert, looking for it, watching for the signs, looking at the times you live in, watching, anticipating, putting the puzzle pieces together, tracking through scripture, continually reading, staying, staying obedient, staying surrendered. He's talking about that kind of stuff here. And it, so then he uses this analogy. So he says, it's going to be like this. It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and he puts his servants in charge, each at his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Right? So the master of the house has to take a trip and so he has servants and he puts them uh, in charge of the different tasks that they would have at a place like that. So some would, for example, have work chores, others would take care of the animals, others the fields. The doorkeeper was a very important and unique role and uh, they were kind of the overtaker or the overseer of the place. And the doorkeeper uh, involved, if you were the doorkeeper of the place for the master, involved great trust. meant the master trusted you greatly with his possessions. And, and it fulfilled three different functions. First function that it fulfilled was to stand guard of the house and its possessions. In other words, you're watching out for thieves. You're watching out for people who would come and want to rip the property off. You're, you're, you're making sure that that doesn't happen. The second thing is on the other side of the coin, you were there to extend hospitality to visitors or strangers or guests who came. In other words, because the master was gone, you were now his spokesperson. And so you were to greet in the same way with the same generosity and the same hospitality that you would have been greeted with if the master himself had been there. So you had to keep the same tone. And then the third one is to greet and celebrate the return of the owner. When the owner came, he wanted to look and look over and see his property and he wanted to see that the doorkeeper was standing there waiting for his return because then he would know that things were in good order and that they had done a good job. So those were the three things. And thus the doorkeeper's responsibility was to stay watchful. He was overseeing the property and he was to be alert for looking out for enemies and friends all at the same time. Right? I think that makes sense to us. So the importance of the role of the doorkeeper is underlined by the emphasis to stay alert. Okay? Uh, it wouldn't be good if the master came back and he saw the doorkeeper slouched in the doorway, sound asleep. 
right? That probably wouldn't go over very well. And so the issue here is one of alertness. Uh, in military terms, it would be man your post, right? Those of you who serve, do your job, stay alert. Another, we could, another way we could say is stay expectant, right? Well, why? Jesus goes on with the analogy. He says, therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Right? And so these watches here, think we would understand this in terms of work shifts. Right? If you want to put it in our context, right? some of us work days, some of us work nights, some of us work those in-between shifts. Right? If you work for Boeing, you know those, they're, they're the three shifts they run. Right? So you, you kind of know how that works here. Um, so you may have the early shift or you may have the late shift or you may be asked to pull an all-nighter. Okay? If you're in college, you may force yourself into an all-nighter by yourself because you didn't study during the quarter when you were supposed to be. Right? The expectation is that no matter what part of the shift that you're responsible for, be vigilant, stay focused, do your job, stay alert. The warning is not to let the master of the house, and and notice here, it has to do with the relationship between the doorkeeper and the master of the house, is to not let the master of the house find you asleep when he shows up. The day, of course, that we're talking here, this return of the master is the great day of the Lord, right? Spoken of Joel and Daniel and all the prophets and that uh, Jesus talked about. It's Jesus' second return. So he came once as a servant. He will come again as King of kings and Lord of lords. And we who are his children are to be vigilant, anticipating it. And, and this is through this whole passage here. It's been uh, understood if you... Uh, have read about this at all. It's understood and can be taken as the possible times of Jesus' return during the period of the time known as the tribulation. And traditionally, the positions have been laid out as pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-trib. Anybody ever heard of those, right? And uh, there's been arguments about that forever. But let's take a look at those really quickly so we know what we're talking about and what we're looking at. This is... um, Diagram number one, this would be pre-tribulation. So the, the day of the Lord, back up just a second, the day of the Lord actually involves uh, a seven-year period known as the Great Tribulation uh, in Scripture. And so pre-tribulation involves what's become known as the rapture. The Lord will catch us, catch up those who are His church. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Behold, I tell you a mystery... We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. And he goes on to say in, in 1 Thessalonians, and again, he says, For this we declare to you by word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, That is a general barking at his army. That's what that means, cry of command. It means the leader of the army says go, and it starts to roll out. So the cry of command, I love that term. 
with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord and therefore encourage one another with these words. Now you can look that up. That's in 1 Corinthians 15 and uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And uh, I didn't put them up there. I wanted you just to look at the diagram. Basically, it breaks down into three different positions that come from this idea in these scriptures. First one is called pre-trib. And the idea here is that the Lord comes before the tribulation, catches the church up, the church goes up to be with him. Then you have the tribulation and he comes back and we join him and we reign with him in the thousand year reign of what's known as the millennium. All right. So it isn't uh, here when we're talking about these three positions, it isn't so much uh, if it will happen, the argument is over when it will happen. Right? Does that make sense? There's no contesting that the Lord will return. There's just differences in opinion as to when that actually would take place. So the first view, there's three main views. The first one is this one. Um, so this, has, this position here has been popularized by Hal Lindsey, right? The late great planet Earth. Some of you remember that book. Uh, more of you, if you're younger, uh, the Left Behind series, and uh, we've watched all that. And uh, there, and there's countless movies and books and things that um, have taken off. The interesting Marvel swiped some of that in their their fear, and they even had the helicopter crashing in the building. Just like I mean, I was like, wow, serious? You stole that, uh, right? But and there's many, many more of these kind of things. But the gist of the idea is that Jesus come raptures his church, catches us up. The tribulation happens, then we'll return with him and reign with him in the thousand-year reign known as the millennium. Now, the second opinion is similar to it, looks quite like it, only it's called mid-trib. And the reason it's called mid-trib is because the rapture happens in the middle of the tribulation. The tribulation is a a seven-year period, And what this view says is that the church will go through the first three and a half years. And then at the middle mark, the mid of the tribulation, the church will be raptured out. And then we will miss the worst part, the second half of the three and a half years um, that will happen. And then again, we will come back with Jesus and then reign with him during the millennial reign. The third picture, the third view is this one called post-tribulation. And this view uh, is exactly what you would think it would be. It's exactly what it sounds like. The church goes through the entire tribulation and then is raptured to be with Christ in the air and then to immediately return to earth to reign with him in the millennium. So we, are, we go through the tribulation. Many will die. The dead in Christ rise. The trumpet calls. The cry of command. The dead in Christ rise. The ones who are left are caught up in the air and we go up in the air and then Lord organizes it and down back we come and, and it, we reign. Right? Okay. Now, here's the first thing you should know. The first thing you should know is that all these views are biblical. Right? And all have a very good case to be made for each of them. Matter of fact, they use the same scriptures. <laughs> That's the ironic thing about it. If you've studied this at all, you know that. They just pull different parts out of the same passages. So um, all, three, all three views are, are legit. There are good brothers and sisters in the Lord who love Jesus with all their heart 
and uh, hold to the different views on this. And you're not going to hell if you hold a different opinion than me on this. All right? You just need to know that. Um, there's been long debate for a long time on those. Um, if you're asking me, where do I land? Uh, I would tell you that personally, in 40 years of ministry, I've moved between all three of these views during my ministry career. All right? Some of you have drifted with me, right? Um, first, I was pre-trib. Uh, right? I was radical. I had come to know Jesus. I crashed into the kingdom in 1978. Late Great Planet heard written in 70. I read it all and I was just, right? Just going crazy. And uh, I thought it was awesome. And, and plus I saw the movies and the books and so they, they swayed me. And then kind of the dialogue started shifting in the church saying, you know, that's just because you're Americans, Right? You're United States people, and because you think, you know, you've got that cowboy, get out of Dodge, escape at the last second mentality, and you're going to miss the whole thing. And what about the rest of the church? Because the rest of the church in the world is going through persecution. They're going through, they're dying for their faith. Why do you think you don't have to go through it? And truthfully, that made a lot of sense to me because I had invested a lot in the persecuted church. I had prayed for the persecuted church. Uh, uh, Voice of the Martyrs is a ministry I've tracked for 40 years, and I went back from the beginnings of it and still track it today. And uh, you know, it, it, it's an impactful statement. And so I kind of went, "Wow, yeah, I guess you know maybe it, it, mid-trib sounds right." And then I became post-trib because I said, "Why, why would we not go through the tribulation? Not thinking about you know the cost or anything, but thinking more on the lines of." Witness. Why would there not be a witness for the Lord all the way through the tribulation? And many people come to Christ, and a number of preachers had talked about, and pastors that I followed talked about the fact that um, the greatest revival in the history of the world will also happen in the greatest season of tribulation during the history of the world. And I went, that makes a lot of sense to me too, right? So then I shifted to post trip, right? so, you want to know where I am presently? Okay, I'm back to pre-trib. <laughs> I know, I know. And you'd say, well, why? You, you might ask, well, how in the world did you shift back to that and, and go back to that? And let me just tell you where I'm at right now. The major reason is for something I had overlooked previously that has been rebrought to my attention over the last several years that has started to make more sense than the other arguments, and that is simply this. The major reason I'm pre-trib again is because it is not all about the church, but it's also all about Israel. Okay, And I had left Israel, the Israel piece out of the package, and I had made it all church-centric, and I realized, well, even though I'm not a replacement theology guy, which means you know, God's done with Israel, it's over with and crashed, and, I, and now it's all the church, I... I still had left that piece out, right? And so I, I, people started to say, hey, Steve, think about this. The reason for the rapture isn't because the church is so good or so righteous or all that kind of stuff and God's going to save his favorite little pets from stubbing their toe. The reason the church gets taken out is because he's going to catch them up because in the end, if you watch in Revelation and Daniel, the church disappears and it's all Israel. 
And all of history is going to focus back on that piece of real estate. And all of history is going to focus back on that piece of property. And it all culminates all in Israel with the battle we know as what? Armageddon. And it seems very apparent that the church is gone and that God is repurposing Israel. So God has to remove the church so that Israel becomes the focus front and center in the end time scenario for the Antichrist in the tribulation. Where am I pulling that from? Those of you who like this stuff, Romans 11 says this. So I ask, this is Paul writing, he's talking about Israel, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means, rather through their trespass, Israel's blindness, uh, trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. So right now we are in the age of the church, the age of the Gentile, and God is using the church to make Israel jealous. They're jealous of our life. They're jealous of what we have. They're jealous. That should be them, and they know it. And so God, it's, it, Paul says, as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? And what this means is that, once again, God's chosen people, the Jews... All the stories you've read in the Old Testament, that's why I'm reading through the Bible and the promises and covenants I was reading this week. I'm in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is profound. Everybody says the Old Testament is different than the New Testament. Read Deuteronomy. It's all a covenant based on love. And it's fantastic. But Moses invokes God and he says, hey, don't destroy your people. In the book of Numbers, he says, don't destroy your people because, you know, Egypt will say, well, he couldn't bring them into the land. And he says... And Moses says this to God, remember, remember your covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now you think, well, of course it's Moses. Of course he'd pull those names up. But think about that. That's 400 years after. 400 years after. And Moses is saying, hey, for the sake of the fathers, remember the covenant. That's spanning some amazing time span for Moses to bring that up. And God actually acquiesces to that prayer. It's a, it's a powerful thing. So once again, uh, God's chosen people will be regrafted into the vine and all the world will point towards Jerusalem. And so uh, what appears to be happening is that there's a season where the Jews went blind, right? They fell asleep and the Gentile world came awake. And it, it came awake known as the church. And there will come a time when God is waiting for the fullness of of the Gentiles, the fullness of the number to come in. And when that comes in, it appears that the world's going to fall asleep. And guess who wakes back up? The Jewish nation. And so, this points to uh, another thing. So, God's doing that, but this points to another flaw in our thinking. Uh, Here's where I think some of us were clever. And so we, we kind of put the pieces together and say, hey, If the third temple has to be built, and we know that's a critical piece for the Lord to be involved in history, I can float till I see the temple being built. Then I'll get serious. Isn't that human nature? Right? Isn't that exactly what we do? And there are a lot of Christians who have that peg and said, you know, they've been talking about this for a long time, so we really don't need to pay any attention till we see the temple being built. Once that's built, boy, then we better take it seriously. I want to suggest that these verses we're talking about today speak against that. 
that we should be alert now. One of the most common pictures in the Bible, and those of you who read it will know this is true, one of the most common pictures of the Bible is that sin creates blindness. Right? Jesus says it's like the blind leading the blind. Okay? And he, they said, are we blind too? Right? Remember the Pharisees? And he said, well, if you weren't, you wouldn't have to ask the question. Right? Um, but the other picture that's equally as prominent in the Bible is this picture of sin puts us to sleep. We're no longer watching. We're no longer paying attention. Um, we, we have phrases for this. For example, if you're driving, right, we call it being asleep at the wheel. Not a good thing, right? If you're uh, walking around at night, what do we call that? Sleepwalking, okay? Do you, do you expect people like that to be very alert? No, right? Um, and likewise, the church has kind of fallen asleep. It's not very alert. Okay? If you look at the numbers, many, many people have walked away and you could uh, call that become blind or you could say they've fallen asleep. They're no longer watching for the return of Jesus. They've bought into the line of thinking. It's all a bunch of bunk. Uh, they've been saying that ever since he's on the planet. Who knows if he was even on the planet? Who knows if he even said that? And it's, you know, frivol-frabble, you know. We're not going to pay attention to it anymore. But... Scripture talks about sin putting us to sleep, not paying attention. We're no longer aware of the things of the Lord. We're no longer aware. Have you ever run into somebody like that? They were one at one time vividly alive for Christ. You knew of the life. You would run into it. And you meet them later and like, man, lights on, nobody home. They don't even know what you're talking about anymore. And, and they really aren't interested. And you're like, Wow, what happened? Well, the, one of the analogies here is that they, they fell asleep. And the things of God have become foolishness to them. Okay? Uh, if you think about it, most of our country has gone to sleep. Now, you wouldn't think of sleep people who are asleep making so much noise and barking like in our political scene as they are, but they're actually spiritually asleep. Okay? They don't get the things of the Lord. Thus, Jesus' admonishment. Look at the admonishments in just these, these four passages that we looked at. Look at what he says when he's calling for vigilance from his servants. Uh, in verse 33, be on your guard, be alert. Verse 35, therefore keep watch. Verse 36, do not let him find you sleeping. Verse 37, watch. So the obvious question here is why? Well, Luke gives us another object lesson that's the very same one Jesus is using, but he colors it a little differently and it adds to it. In Luke chapter 12, he says this, And the Lord said, this is Jesus talking, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. So here we find the master gone again. Here we find the servant doing what he's supposed to be doing. And the key point here is that the servant is carrying out his responsibilities even when the master's gone. Not only that, but even if he's gone longer than he expected him to be. He's still carrying out 
the chores or the responsibilities that the master gave him to do. But then Luke also presents the flip side here. I should say Jesus is. He says, but if that servant says to himself, aha, my master is delayed in coming, and he begins to beat the male and female servants, that this reminded me of, I'm, I'm the oldest of eight, and when mom and dad left me to babysit, I'm the boss. And you will do what I say. And I had brothers who didn't agree with that, right? Um, my master delayed in coming. He begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day, listen to this, when he does not expect him, and an hour he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act accordingly to his will, will receive a severe beating. Now, I think the two phrases worth paying attention to in here are, one, my master is delayed in coming, therefore I can play. You ever do that when you were a kid? Mom and dad left you at home? (laughs) Right? Hard to get rid of the burn marks, though, you know. (laughs) What's that plant doing in the middle of the living room? Oh, no, dropped through the ceiling. Um, My master is delayed in coming, or two, He will come on a day when he does not expect him or at an hour when he does not know. See, usually when we drift and when we fall asleep, at first we're still paying attention. But after a while, we're not paying attention anymore. We're not even watching. We completely forgot. And Jesus says, that is the sound. Does that sound familiar, right? Does that sound like us? Right. Also notice here the issue of procrastination. Any procrastinator, fellow procrastinators out there, Right? Hello, I love you. Okay. It says, And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will, what? They will receive a severe beating. Now, those are Jesus' words. Those aren't my words. Okay? But you can tell he's taking it pretty seriously by the punishments he attaches to it. If you don't like that, you can argue with him. All right? Don't argue with me. So, this is the same parable of all that we covered in Mark chapter 13. And it, it brings it together that day. And so, Mark, coming back to Mark then, Mark says this. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. All right, now... Let's balance that point out too. That's a lot of people say, hey, if you're looking for the end times, you're foolish because Jesus said nobody will ever know when it comes. You can't know. And, and so why, why should we waste time looking or anticipating or even keeping watch? He'll just show up and we'll be fine. Right? Well, if you go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and this is going to be a mouthful here. We had to pack it on the screen, but I needed to get it on. It says this. Paul is writing in about this. It says, uh, Concerning the times and the seasons, talking about the return of the Lord, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. There's that famous phrase. Got to get that out. And some of you remember that movie, right? A Thief in the Night. And that was one of the films made off of that. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. 
But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, the children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So Paul says, hey, you are not blind and you are not asleep. You are children of the light. You're walking in the light so you can see. And so it shouldn't, the day shouldn't catch you because you should be looking at the things I've said and there will be clues and hints and you'll be able to piece it together and you'll be able to watch. Paul says that although we won't know the exact timing, you might not know the day, hour, and exact minute. Okay? He says you will know the season. We won't be caught by surprise because we've been watching. What are we watching for? We're watching for Jesus' second coming. Think about how that changes your day or week. When you get up in the morning and you say, you know what, Lord? Today might be the day. Today might be the day. But what if he came back right now? Wouldn't it? Wow. Right? And you'd go, wow, I'm glad I was in church. <laughs> Me and you, Jesus, were tight. Yeah. Okay. Whew. Right? But just think of how that changes your mindset as you watch and you, and you think about those things together. The key phrase is here, we are all children of the light. First John says we are to walk in the light as he, Jesus, is in the light. And the ultimate parable for that, of course, is found in Matthew uh, in the parable of the ten virgins. Let's look at that again. You know this, but let's remind ourselves of it, right? Because it pertains to this really well. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five of them were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. There's the exact same parable we've been walking through. But at midnight... There was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And then all those virgins rose and they trimmed their lamps. Right? So certainly this would fit our experience because from the human perspective, Jesus has delayed. Right? Many people thought he was coming back in World War I. Many people thought he was coming back in World War II. Many people thought he was coming back in the 70s. Right? And many people thought Desert Storm. And, right? There's all these different places. And if you live through that, you know all that. You, you bought the CDs. Right? Here we go. But if you think about Lake Lake Planet Earth, you know when that was printed? 1970. Did you know that? 1970. That's 50 years ago this year. Wow, that means I'm old. Right? <laughs> 50 years. That book has came out like, you know, in terms of human timing, 50 is a long time. Right? If you're thinking about people, and I, and I know all kinds of people who read that, waited for six months, it didn't happen, and that was it. Didn't happen, so they're done. Maybe they lasted more than six months. Maybe they lasted a year. Maybe they lasted three. Maybe they lasted five. But eventually they just said, yeah, it's all bogus and put together and it's not going to happen. You know anybody like that? I know a lot of people like that. From our perspective, Jesus has delayed for a long time. From Jesus' perspective, he is waiting for the full number of the Gentiles to be brought in and he knows what that number is and he's being patient that all would come to repentance and that none should perish. And only he now knows that day and the hour. In his eyes, he's right on schedule. So the trick is we've got to line up with his schedule, not get him to line up with our schedule. The major problem of being human. 
right? We want to jury rig it so He adjusts to us, not the other way around. He will come at the exact right time. If you think, uh, if you think of this from the rapture perspective, He can come at any moment. And He can come at any time. So like He could come right now this morning. And if you sinned all week, that's not good news. Right? Think about it. If the rapture happens and you're actually in the midst of it sinning, you would be what the Bible would call asleep or blind. And that's not good news. We've read those passages. Right? The trick is to be of a clear heart and a clear conscience with expectant faith that He would come so that when He comes, you're doing what He told you to do and you're clean. You're good. Something else happens here. Jesus goes on with the parable and he says this. And the foolish said to the wise, remember there are five foolish, five wise? The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, Open to us. And he answered, Truly, I say to you, some of the scariest words in the Bible, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The oil, obviously, has always been seen as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And if you think of a church, there's people who know the Lord, there's people who have surrendered to the Lord, and there's people who haven't. There's people who are thinking, they're watching, they're joining for whatever multitude of reasons. Uh, So some have the Holy Spirit, some don't. Those, the church who had oil, the Holy Spirit, got in. Right? And notice that this admonition is the same one here in Matthew as it is in Mark. What does Jesus say? Watch. Right? The five wise ones were watching and they took precautions and they said, you know, he might not come exactly when we think. We better bring some extra oil. And so they were ready for the long run. The foolish didn't. They said, well, they said, here, so we're going to just come with our lamps. And it took longer than they thought and suddenly they were out. You ever, been, you ever done that? <laughs> it didn't go the way you planned and you're out of oil. All right? and, and so... Jesus is saying, watch, be ready, keep looking, anticipate, man your post. And so be about the Lord's business. Anticipate the Lord's return. Watch for the signs. Be in Scripture. Be reading. Fellowship. Don't be isolated. And if you're here this morning, you're not being isolated, so you're, you're in good shape. But the question this morning is, one, do you have oil in your lamp? Speaking to you, Have you surrendered and asked the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your life as Savior and Lord? Have you actually done that? Have you actually said those words? Have you actually said, you know what, Jesus, I've watched my life. I get it. I'm not getting in unless I got you and I get it. I'm not with you. And I need to be. And the only way that happens is if I surrender to you and let you take over control. Would you come in and rescue? Would you save me? Have you actually done that? Because if you haven't, Let me tell you as clearly as I can as a friend that if Jesus were to come back and you haven't done that, you have no oil in your lamp and the door will be shut. And what it shuts to, you will not want to go there. 
People say it's only a metaphor. If it's a metaphor, that's even worse. Hell is real. People don't want to talk about it. People don't want to think about it. We've just blown it off and said we're not even going to acknowledge the topic anymore. That's a very foolish thing to do. I think Jesus kind of knows what he's talking about. He knows the spirit realm, right? So the question is, number one, have you surrendered? Do you have oil in the lamp? Have you asked the Lord in as Savior and Lord? That's, that's the biggest ask I could ask this morning. And if you haven't done that, you could come up and talk to me about it. If you've done it and you want me to know about it, you can do that. You can talk to the staff. You can talk to others. It's not a secret society club. There's a lot of us here who know what that's like. Right? And I can't tell you all the differences, but I can tell you this. When I came and crashed into the kingdom in that powdered milk factory in Denmark, Wisconsin, back in 1978, I didn't know a lot. February 8th, by the way. One day off. I didn't know a lot, but I knew this. I knew I'd met him. And the funny thing is, everything was the same and nothing was the same. And I can't tell you the difference other than I never dreamed of being a pastor and I think he has a hilarious sense of humor. Um, <laughs> but I can tell you, it all changed. Right? I know the difference when I didn't know him and I know the difference when I know him. I know the difference when I'm not walking and I know the difference when I'm walking. Right? And so for those of us who do have oil in our lamps, are we paying attention and doing the Lord's work of what He's given us to do? Are we on task? Are we in assignment? Are we obedient? Do we have joy? Or is it a have to? Are we like the older son? Right? You've never even given me a goat to celebrate with my friends. This Christian life is a drag, man. All it is, do, 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 do. Have to, have to, have to, have to. If you've got that spirit, you better go back to point one because you're as a prodigal as the other son who ran away and partied. Some of us are Grinches, grumble buckets. That's not the joy of the Lord. But are we paying attention? Are we on task? Are we on assignment? Or are we asleep at the wheel? Right? Doing the right motions, but really not tracking anymore. Not inside. Outwardly, nobody would notice. But inside, we've, we've lost steam. We've lost momentum. We've, we've lost energy. And the word here for us this morning, Jesus said, wake up, wake up, come back, come back, get back on track, get back tracking with me. So number one, do you have oil in your lamp? Have you asked the Lord in your life? Have you asked Him to come in and save you from your sins? If you don't know what sins are, just go in the New Testament. The New Testament will be glad to point it out to you. All right? And number two, those of us who do have oil in our lamp, are we tracking? Are we walking? Do we see us being placed where we're placed during the week as God sovereignly placing us in strategic positions all throughout Mill Creek so that we can be a part of the kingdom? Or is it my job? And I hate my job. And I hate God for putting me in my job. And the sooner I can get out of here, the better it is. Right? Different perspective. Do I see myself placed there? All right. So we're wrapping up these sections of four things. Church. Stay alert. Let's stay alert together. Let's encourage each other to stay alert. If one of us starts to flag or get discouraged, that's totally common. Let's encourage each other to stay focused on Jesus and on His return whenever He chooses for that to happen. Alright, let's pray. Father, thank You for walking through this. and uh, Powerful stuff, Lord. Powerful stuff of which You hold the key to almost all of this.
Well, you actually hold the key to all of it. Father, when we come to this, you know our hearts. You know it's easy to fall asleep. It's easy to drift. It's easy to not pay attention. It's easy to get distracted. We didn't even talk about that, but all the different lures in our culture that are simply designed to distract us away from you. A lot of us aren't paying attention sometimes. And Lord, help us. Would you help us stay on track with you? Help us have urgency. Help us have immediacy. The whole uh, title of this series of messages is Mark, the Gospel of Immediacy. And the idea here is Mark used that word so many times in his gospel because it gives a sense of it's about to happen. Lord, there's things that we could do. We could forgive people. We could let go of grudges and, and gripes. We could choose joy. We can think about uh, waking up in the morning and saying, this could be the day. Lord, help us focus on that as we see the seasons and the times of the, the, times of the seasons, the, time, the signs of the time. Lord, help us be more alert than we've ever been. May we have joy over this. May we have confidence over this. May we um, be looking May you be our first love, and we seek you for that in your name. Amen.